Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, I'm in Utah, and uh, I've been uh, working on uh, my search engine, and uh, got it got it to work uh, where it was taking paragraphs, vectorizing it, and then use the cosine function, um, set up an indices of sentences for a paragraph. So I just sent a paragraph to it, sent it indices, and then uh, looked to see how similar um, one sentence is to another, and then rank them uh, according to a cosine function, and then return that list back and display as a recommended list. So that's the first part, and it's uh, working pretty good. Um, and uh, the second part would be to uh, look for certain patterns and find matches that way, uh, more like uh, the way a search engine would work where it would compare uh, similar words and context and, uh, and then maybe uh, limit the range down by the number of word count per sentence. And so I'd, if I was looking at a why question, having a larger filter of sentences that were longer in content and uh, if I was looking at how feeding it that way uh, where I was looking at more procedural information um, and maybe shorter sentences uh, then uh, I started looking at uh, parts of speech and dependencies word dependencies and this uh, uh, spacey natural language processing was really good for that because I could see that what you could do is uh, filter out things like uh, direct objects, subject noun, and verb, and then um, identify sentences with verbs. And then that would then tell you, you could figure out the sentence dependencies, and then feed that into a reoccurring neural net. And then the reoccurring neural net would then have a series of dependencies linking together and train on that and then make a prediction of what the next uh, sentence or structure could be. So it could actually kind of fill in the uh, missing parts with based on the historical training. And so then using the prediction of what it could be um, uh, returning based on a reoccurring neural net. And uh, that might also yield very nicely to a long, short term memory uh, solution also with LSTM. And uh, I just have to learn those two structures and then utilize them. But uh, yeah, it's going pretty good. So uh, th what, again, I was thinking about is how you could utilize neural nets uh, or this natural language processing in business. And so let's say you're asking a question and then it's extracting from its known trained network responses back and sentences that it might try to respond with. Um, so with small, with small data set, it's going to have um, some, some level of success 
but as it gets more refined in the type of questions that you're asking and more specific, then it's you're going to need larger data sets. And so I did download uh, the Spacey large data set, and it's, uh, it, it takes a long time to, for it to parse and run. So um, I began thinking, well, uh, the solution then will be bigger machines. So you would run this on a mainframe or or a super cluster or something like that and get your speed down into the milliseconds responses. But then there's an extreme cost. So and you're exchanging now high cost for better performance. And uh, that was one thing that I'd heard when I talked to other developers is that they said, well, only way you can get you know natural language processing is you got to be up on the cloud, and the reason why they would set a cloud is because they can use the hardware of the cloud, and it's relatively low cost for access to usage of that hardware. Well, it's interesting, um, and it makes me kind of wonder with uh, Apple's move to ARM technology. Uh, they say that it's reduced cost, reduced power consumption and uh, without compromising performance. So they're, they're gonna migrate their operating systems and their applications over to the ARM chip, move off the Intel. Um, and so that's one approach. The other one I was looking at was uh, Spike Computing or True North, where they're taking uh, a neuromorphic approach to computing so if your solutions are largely um, natural language process, which is doing a lot of um, vector calculations, then you could feed that into a neuromorphic chip and it uses less power and it performs a uh, uh, high level of performance. And so the combination of the two, high level performance and low power consumption, and uh, you could reduce some of the computational intensive uh, processes that require hardware like image processing or voice recognition onto these uh, true nor chips and then they they find an, a market and it's widespread and so the architecture changes from a von neumann uh, turing pipeline to a neuromorphic one, but uh, in the sense that uh, von Neumann said that the the Turing machine could be able to simulate um, the neuromorphic behavior, you could say that neuromorphic behavior can be represented as a Turing machine, and so therefore the von Neumann architecture isn't shattered by the um, the neuromorphic chip. So the neuromorphic chip becomes the next uh, generation of, of computing uh, as it seeks to reduce down its footprint size and its computational uh, and increase the computational capability. So um, it will be interesting I, I, you know, to see if uh, neuromorphic chips become widespread and uh, you know they, they find themselves embedded in uh, cell phones, digital cameras, um, Internet of Things, 
and uh, then as they start to process larger and larger amounts of information, uh, they work collectively to solve problems and um, uh, they could communicate between each other's like neurons on a, with synaptic connections and they can provide reliable uh, uh, functionality, which uh, deep, the deep learning has been kind of very classical of. Uh, I can put in um, any function, a trigonomy, tr trigonomy, uh, trigonomy function, and then I can train the deep learning net, and it can then learn that function. So that if I feed any uh, theta or phi or alpha variable in you know any Cartesian coordinates or excuse me in a cylindrical or spherical uh, coordinate system, it can then it can then uh, produce the output of that particular function it's been trained on. So then the idea is, well, you could train these deep neural nets on one, two, three, maybe even thousands of functions. And each one of those functions can be mapped to a true north chip. And it could be doing different things like looking at signal processing. Uh, you can be doing four-ray transforms. Um, you can do linear algebra transformations. That's the one I'm working on now is uh, to teach the, uh, to the deep learning net how to solve a determinant. So I would uh, feed in, uh, as an input, I'd feed in my matrix, and then my output would be a determinant. And since a determinant is following a set number of rules for its reduction, um, the deep learning net should be capable after a few epics to learn how to train the net. And then the question would be how many times out of maybe a thousand or a million times that I feed um, a different matrix in that it will accurately predict the determinant. So if it then predicts, let's say the determinant at 99.999% or even at 100%, um, then we could say that uh, the deep learning net is ha capable of handling any polynomial equation. Since any polynomial equation with a non-trivial solution uh, or a homogeneous solution would result in, uh, in the solving for its coefficients, then you could take uh, and solve any multivariable problem that could be put in a polynomial form and system of equations, which is basically a matrix, matrix could be solved. And so any linear programming system could be solved with deep learning neural nets. So the deep neural net then could be the basis for uh, replacement for linear programming. And uh, once you have that, then you have uh, rule-based systems that could be represented as deep learning nets and uh, you feed in the polynomials and then get the predictable results from the deep learning net. That's the kind of the end goal with, uh, with uh, my experiment with deep learning nets and linear algebra.